Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston. I'm the co-host of this show. Our other co-host remains missing. We have not found them yet. Just kidding. Charlie's doing okay. I hung out with him. He made some gumbo on Saturday. We hung out and watched the uh, Tennessee game. And then yesterday I went over to his place and watched the Cowboys game because we're both big Cowboys fans. And that was really fun. He sends his best. And the message that he gave me this morning was to make sure everyone knows that he's not gone. He is coming back. He just needs some time. That's all I got for you. And I, I do want to say I appreciate everyone sticking this out. I know that uh, the cool part about this show is that Charlie and I have been friends for like 20 years and we like to go back and forth, banter back and forth. We kind of are thinking the same thing all the time. We can joke back and forth, have a good time. And that's kind of the fun part of this show. And when it's just me, well, I would say, I would speculate it's somewhat less fun and maybe just going through some more news pieces and some more facts, and I go on some rants and stuff like that, but I still think that it's valuable. I still want to get this information out to everyone. There were a few things that happened since our last episode. Yes, we'll be talking about the Paul Pelosi attack and some of the theories that have arised after that happened. And then The Intercept just posted this really big piece about government censoring a government working with private companies to censor speech. This is going to be a big deal. I'm not going to dive all the way into it today because today's going to be a bit of a shorter episode, but I want to make everyone aware of this article and put the link in the show notes so you can go through it. And then we'll be starting off with a little bit of a white pill, which is a fact check I saw from Twitter of all places of a Joe Biden tweet. Crazy. Never seen that kind of thing before. And it makes me hopeful about the future. And I bet it really made a lot of people mad that are on the left. By the way, if you want to hang out live with all the fine people in this group, we go to joingmail.com, six bucks a month. That way you can hang out. You get the episode as it's happening. We get to talk back and forth. You get the vote for dumb bleep of the week. But if you can't spring for the six bucks, well, then you can go to our YouTube and subscribe, ring the bell, and you'll be able to watch this video after I upload it sometime later this evening. Well, let's go over the white pill first before we dive into all this terribleness that we're going to talk about afterwards. I want to present to you this tweet from at POTUS. This is President Biden. And he says, let me give you the facts. In 2020, 55 corporations made $40 billion and they paid zero in federal taxes. My Inflation Reduction Act puts an end to this. Now, I have thoughts when I see stuff like that. And in fact, in the past, we would grab a tweet like this and we would go on and on about fact-checking it and how he's misusing some of the data and it's not quite what he presented. But I don't know if this is exactly linked to Twitter's new ownership. There was already a fact-check attached to this tweet. So I wanted to give you guys a white pill to start on Monday that we might actually see the president's tweets or maybe other people that are on the left, their tweets fact-checked, which is something that we've been trying to do now for a few years. Maybe they're going to work us out of a job. Here's what the fact-check on Twitter read. 
The Inflation Reduction Act imposed a minimum tax on corporations with average pre-tax earnings greater than $1 billion. They then give a couple resources on that. Out of the 55 corporations the tweet references, only 14 had earnings greater than $1 billion and would be eligible under Biden's tax law. I know that we could go way more into this and talk about a lot of things, but look at what they did just right there. He says 55 corporations paid zero in federal taxes. My Inflation Reduction Act puts an end to this. The fact check from Twitter says only 14 of those companies are actually going to qualify for any type of minimum corporate tax under the Inflation Reduction Act. Just little stuff like that. You put out your misinformation, your disinformation, and you're getting fact-checked even if you're on the left, even if you're the president. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. Makes my job way easier. Now, when it comes to misinformation or disinformation or whatever, this, what I believe to be a massive news story just broke from The Intercept. The Intercept, as you may know, was the publication that broke the Edward Snowden story, started by Glenn Greenwald. Uh, he later left The Intercept. But Lee Feng, who's one of the authors of this piece, posted a massive story from The Intercept today. The title here, Leaked Documents Outline DHS's Plan to Police Disinformation. Lee Feng says documents show Facebook and Twitter closely collaborating with Department of Homeland Security, FBI, to police disinfo. Plans to expand censorship on topics like the withdrawal from Afghanistan, the origins of COVID, info that undermines trust in financial institutions. We're just going to go through this Twitter thread because the piece is massive. Like I said, I will link to it in the show notes. I have not had a time had time to go all the way through it today, but I wanted to give you some of the bullet points here. So Lee Feng says FBI agent Laura Dimlo was in communications with Facebook that led to the suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop story in 2020 over the false allegation that it was disinformation. This year, she met with Twitter and DHS to stress we need media infrastructure that is held accountable. And they show some of the documents on this. Facebook and Twitter created special portals for the government to rapidly request takedowns of content. I'll repeat again. Facebook and Twitter created special portals for the government to rapidly request takedowns of content. The portals, along with NGO partners used to censor a wide range of content, including obvious parody accounts and content disagreeing with government pandemic policy. Yes, these are private companies, and yes, I understand why they would want to do this. I've mentioned this several times. They get hauled in front of Congress where they have to deal with AOC, blaming them for J6 or for Russia influencing, influencing the election. They threaten them with breaking up their companies, destroying their companies in any way that they possibly can. You get power over them because of those powers that the government has over those companies, and they capitulate. They work with them. Luckily, The Intercept is putting this information out there. This is a big story, and I hope we see a lot more on it. The emails and documents show close collaboration with DHS and private in the private sector. Twitter's Vaya Gade, I just messed up that name, I know, who got fired by Elon Musk last week, met monthly with DHS to discuss censorship plans. And this 
a person from Twitter meeting monthly with DHS to discuss censorship plans. Microsoft executives texted DHS, quote, platforms have got to get comfortable with government. And there is a screenshot of text conversations. Lee Fang then says, how does DHS justify its involving its evolving mission from countering foreign terror groups to policing domestic disinformation on social media? Leaked planning documents show the agency argues false information is a source of radicalization and violence. Which brings us to our next story. As you well know, I had not heard about it on Friday when we did Dumb Bleep of the Week. But Paul Pelosi, the husband of Nancy Pelosi, and one of the greatest investors of our lives, uh, probably, maybe even his lives, his life, uh, was attacked Friday morning. Hit with a hammer, ended up having to have surgery to repair a skull fracture, and... All of the chaos has ensued afterwards. You know exactly what has happened. I'm sure if you've been on Twitter, you've been anywhere, you've seen all of the nonsense that's been taking place. That's the basic story. I will admit it's a little bit fuzzy right now what exactly happened. Now, first off, I want to tell you, I love conspiracy theories. Absolutely love them. I love to question everything, especially the official narrative about everything. One of my favorite things to do. With the idea that I question everything, there is something else included in that. I also question conspiracy theories. And that might be anti-conspiracy theorist of me, but I believe that everyone has the capability of making up things, drawing conclusions before they have all of the information. I think that this is a pretty common thing. And later on, I'm going to go over some of the reasons that you might question some things, what led to some of the questioning. But there's someone who got in hot water on Twitter. I'm surprised he didn't get taken down this weekend. And that's Elon Musk. Now, I'll admit, kind of hilarious because he tweeted out a link to an article questioning this official narrative on a tweet from Hillary Clinton. She said the Republican Party and its mouthpieces now regularly spread hate and deranged conspiracy theories. It is shocking but not surprising that violence is the result. As citizens, we must hold them accountable for their words and the actions that follow. Now, how do you hold people accountable for their words when you've got people that take actions based on words? And how, as someone who is on the left or whatever she's on, how do you separate out the right and the left? We're going to talk about this. It could be called a whataboutism special. But we're going to talk a little bit about things that we've seen, not just from the right, but yeah, also from the left. Well, Elon Musk responds on this. And he says there is a tiny possibility that there might be more to the story than meets the eye. And he attached an article. He has since deleted this tweet. The article is from... Smobserved.com, that stands for, oh, what is it? I don't remember what it is. Anyway, I don't remember what the SM stand for. I just read it earlier. Anyhow, he deleted it. And honestly, he probably should have not tweeted this specific article. It doesn't seem like this publication 
is the most trustworthy publication that there is out there. Now, the story that was in the article, is it possible? Sure. Sure, it's possible. That's what I love about conspiracy theories. They are very often very possible and sometimes make a lot more sense than what the official narrative is. This one, however, I might upset some people, goes slightly too far. I did go through the article. There were a lot of allegations made. There were not links to uh, any specific sources. Everything is from someone familiar with the matter. And as I said, this publication has posted things like, um, you know, Hillary Clinton was actually dead and there was just a body double that was running for the election in 2016. So once you realize that, well, I also have to question the conspiracy theory, even though I freaking love them. And when I heard the details of this, what's the very first thing I thought? Come on. You guys know how much Paul Pelosi is worth. Nancy wasn't home. Let me tell you, as an avid true crime enthusiast, Dateline watcher, anytime the husband gets attacked or the spouse gets attacked and the other person magically wasn't home that night, come on, case is closed. Case is closed at that point. This, however, a little bit more difficult because Nancy's probably gone quite a lot. She's got another job other than just being a housewife. It makes sense that she wasn't at home, even though Congress is not in session right now. It still makes sense. I, I guarantee you she spends an awful lot of nights away from the house. That was my first red flag. The guy gets attacked, and she's not even in the state. She's across the country. Well, okay, so she can deny having anything to do with it. Anyway, I'm going to go through some of the conspiracy theory story, and the reason I'm going through it is because I am still seeing plenty of people post about this. And while conspiracy theories are very fun, you also have to be very careful in assuming that you know or presenting that theory as the obvious truth and that you know that it's the obvious truth. Because what I have to accept and what you have to accept and everyone else on Twitter needs to accept is that you weren't there. You're only hearing second, third, fourth hand accounts from people. You're making assumptions based off of stories that have since been retracted whether or not they were retracted because they were told to be retracted, whatever, I don't really know. And none of us actually know. And that's the point that we have to accept. It's good to question things, but you can't just question one thing and not question the other, right? By the way, this article starts with, in response to the story, San Francisco police said today that victim Pelosi and suspect DePape, I'm going to say DePape or... DePape or DePape or whatever. I'm probably going to go with DePape because that's the first time that I heard it. Uh, that's the first way I heard it said. Did not know each other prior to the attack. They say that this assault followed a break-in. Now, what do I think after I see this disclaimer from what the San Francisco police say? As someone who loves conspiracy theories, that paragraph tells me nothing because I also don't trust the police. The police are part of the government. I'm not going to trust what the police say, what the FBI say, what the Capitol Police say, what the Pelosi say, what the media say, any of those people. None of them. All I can do is live my life as someone who questions things, who doesn't just always believe whatever the official narrative is. And that's about it. That's about all I can do. But this, I want to I read some of it. 
As San Francisco's gay bars closed at 2 a.m., two gay men met in a bar and went home together. Happens every night in the city by the bay. Except one of these two men was married to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. I might disappear for telling you the truth. If I do, you all know why. But here's what really happened early Friday morning in San Francisco. Now, they provide no source for that. And the reason I'm going through this is I know Elon Musk tweeted this article. I don't think it was a good idea that he tweeted the article. He's He's got to go a little bit deeper into this. Already I see, first off, I don't trust the disclaimer at the top, and now also they're just saying that two gay guys left a bar. I, I don't, okay, where did you get that information? I want to know. According to SFPD, the reporting person stated that there's a male in the home and that he's going to wait for his wife. Reporting person stated he doesn't know who the male is, but advised that his name is David and that he is a friend. The dispatch official said, the reporting person sounded somewhat confused. It's been a rumor for years in San Francisco that Paul Pelosi is gay. David DePape is said to be a Castro nudist. And if you know what that is, then you know more than I do. Okay, so here's the theory. And they call it a theory in the article. As, re- as relayed to me by a source. Now, anytime the Washington Post or the New York Times or CNN or MSNBC or The Guardian or any place that I can magically name right now says, as relayed to me by a source, and then says a bunch of things, I don't believe a single thing they say afterwards. Or I at least question everything. Where people come down on this is what your biases are and what you want the situation to be. I'm not saying that this isn't the situation. I'm saying that I'm going to question this just like I question everything else. As relayed to this person by a source, Castro Nudis are a group of really radical gay male prostitutes that parade around naked with other stuff. First of all, the police did not come in response to an alarm. They come in response to a wellness check, so someone called them to check on Pelosi. When he didn't answer the phone, the cops broke the sliding glass door to get in. Pelosi was struggling with the suspect who was in his underwear. Pelosi, Pelosi owned the hammer not DePape or the male prostitute or the male prostitute was doing something Pelosi didn't like. I don't, that didn't really make any sense to me. And then there was the press conference when they didn't know the mic was on during that. A reporter confirmed that the suspect was a gay Castro nudist, but authorities told him he couldn't use it. Now tell me something. These people are worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Nancy is third in line to the presidency. You don't think they have the most amazing security. And by the way, when Pelosi was in that drunk driving accident, he had a young man with him, and that was too covered up by the police and the press. How would the suspect have been able to break a window without triggering an alarm? He didn't. The police broke the window to gain entry. There was only one hammer in it belonged to Pelosi, and only one cop quoted the perpetrator saying, where's Nancy? None of the other sources said that happened. And one of them could easily have broken that window. Remember, there was no alarm triggered. How would the suspect have gotten into that house without doing that? The cops smashed the glass to gain entry. So you guys get the uh, you guys get the story. Now, what do you believe after this? We'll go through so, uh, what some of the official accounts are. Who do you believe? I don't know. As I said, I don't believe anyone. And at the end of the day, I guess I don't actually care. I don't like the fact that the guy got hit in the head with the hammer and that this is now going to be used uh, like everything else as a way to fight misinformation and disinformation, as a way to talk about the radical right-wing extremists and MAGA and all that kind of stuff. I find the overall situation to be fairly annoying. 
I don't like death. The guy didn't die. He made it through the surgery. We are anti-death here on this podcast. I don't really like political violence because most of it, I mean, it doesn't work. Now, as a country, we were founded on political violence. We were founded by an insurrection against a tyranny. But what has all the political violence that we've seen done? Has any of it achieved anything? Have people stopped doing crazy stuff? Has the government stopped taking people's liberties? Or has it actually just made everything worse? So why do I not like any of it? Other than the fact that I don't think you should aggress on a person who has not aggressed on you. It also doesn't work out strategically. So the people who do like it need to keep that in mind also. Well, what has been the outcome of all of the political violence? Now let's go through a little bit of the fact check stuff that we have. There is this, this rumor that the guy was in his underwear. And I still don't know whether or not he was in his underwear. I'm not saying he was or I'm not saying he wasn't. From what I can tell, from Heavy, which I, I think is a normally a pretty good source in situations like this, that was put out there by one news organization who had a source who said that the guy was only in his underwear. That person then retracted that statement, said that that wasn't the case. And everything else has grown out from there, from what we know. I also, T-Dub just said, body cam footage, I want to see it. I agree. They have asked for the body cam footage. We haven't seen it yet. If we never see it, well, that's a problem. That's definitely a problem. I bet you there's a lot of cameras and stuff around that house, too. There ought to be. We ought to be able to see all this. If it all fits the official narrative, we need the body cam footage. We need the security system around the house. Surely they've got a ring doorbell camera or something like that out there. At least that, since apparently they don't have great security overall. Heavy.com says the only credible media outlet to report that DePape was in his underwear has retracted it. No credible media outlet has reported that Pelosi was in his underwear. Now they keep saying credible. Keep that in mind. And authorities have not confirmed either, even removing the subjective judgment of what is credible from the equation. No website or news site that is repeating the claim has offered any evidence or name sourcing to back it up. The claim appears to have ignited when a single news organization, KTVU-TV, reported that DePape was wearing only his underwear when police arrived. Although that news organization is generally regarded as a credible television station, it later posted a correction and removed the information on the underwear from the article. KTVU-TV is a Fox-affiliated television station located in Oakland, California. The article was written by investigative journalist Evan Cernovsky. He has a long career in investigative reporting in the Bay Area, having worked as San Francisco Chronicle criminal justice reporter before coming to KTVU in 2020. So it seems like a pretty credible guy, but then he comes out and says that other sources have said that he was not only in his underwear. Now, what do I think when I see that? Absolutely nothing else. That's about it. Someone told him the guy was only in his underwear, and now someone's telling him that the guy wasn't only in his underwear, and he's retracted the story. Could he be succumbing to some outside pressures to retract that story? Absolutely he could. So this still does nothing for me. Can I prove, can I prove, me, Nate Thurston, that the guy was in his underwear or that Paul Pelosi was in his, in his underwear. No, I can't. So I can't make any assertion either way. I wasn't there and I can't prove it. This to be false. I can't prove that he was in his underwear. So I might as well stay silent on the issue, right? I'm not trying to prove anything or disprove anything today. 
I'm only just telling you guys how I think about it, which is the way that I think is correct. <laughs> of course. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Don't you wish life came with a user manual? I know I've needed that many times in the past, but unfortunately, we don't get that user manual. You're just sort of left to figure it out on your own and hope you're making the best decisions. Maybe it's a career change, a relationship. Maybe you're a new parent. It's pretty easy to feel very stuck. Well, we don't have that user manual, but we do have BetterHelp. Therapists can help you figure out that whole stuck feeling, help you build better coping skills and work through your tough decisions. Now, I've done therapy before. In fact, some of the best life changes I've made came while I was talking to a therapist. It was tough at the time, and I know I didn't want to do it. I didn't know how it was going to work out, but I am glad that I did it. Now, it's not really about a therapist making your decisions for you, by the way. It's about becoming a healthier version of yourself so you can make the best decisions on your own. As I've mentioned before, our co-host, Charlie, is a consistent user of BetterHelp as well. He loves it, and I know BetterHelp is helping him make it through the tough times. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com gml. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash gml a little bit more separate unrelated claim about pelosi relating uh relating the comments about de pape being a friend is backed up by the police dispatch audio which you can listen to san francisco chronicle confirmed that the audio was real but wrote the dispatcher was relaying what de pape not paul pelosi had advised that his name is david and that he is a friend so the San Francisco Chronicle is claiming that now the dispatcher heard from the suspect that his name was David and that he was a friend. Heavy goes on to say, it's not clear how the Chronicle came to that conclusion because they also don't provide any sourcing. The comment in the audio is, he states there is a male in the home and that he is going to wait for his wife. He stated that he doesn't know who the male is, but that his name is David and that he is a friend. That does not sound like he's talking to the suspect. So once again, we've got something that's rather suspect. Can I prove anything otherwise? Can I prove that someone's right or someone's wrong? No, I really can't. But I do agree that this seems a little weird. Let's listen to that audio. A priority 910, 2640 Broadway, cross of Scott and Normandy. A 14 hour copy. RP stated that there's a male in the home and that he's going to wait for his wife. RP stated that he doesn't know who the male is, but he advised that his name is David and that he is a friend. RP sounded somewhat confused. Call over back and copy. Phoenix code 3, 2640 Broadway, per 14 hour. 14 hour copy. 15 hour also code 3. Everyone call the license division units on scene 2640 Broadway. All right, there we go. That's the recording that we have. It doesn't sound like they were talking to the suspect. It sounds like they were talking to Paul Pelosi. San Francisco Chronicle says that it's actually the suspect who said that his name was David and that he was the friend. So the crazy guy is the one who said that he was the friend. Do I believe that? Not really. No. It sounds like they're kind of making stuff up. No, I don't get it. I'm not there yet. Here's a pretty good account of who this person is and what happened. This comes from Michael Schellenberger, 
And this was posted by the New York Post. I believe Michael Schellenberger posted this on the Substack, and it's been reprinted by a lot of people. It's called The Pelosi Attack Suspect Was a Psychotic Homeless Addict Estranged from His Pedophile Lover and Their Children. So yes, let's go through this just a little bit. Politicians blame the political right for the brutal attack on House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband. Quote, this is despicable, said President Biden. He noted that the alleged attacker shouted the same line, where's Nancy? The same line as the supporters of Donald Trump who stormed the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021. Quote, and what makes us think that one party can talk about stolen elections, COVID being a hoax, it's all a bunch of lies. California political leaders agreed, quote, this heinous assault is yet another example of the dangerous consequences of divisive and hateful rhetoric that is putting lives at risk and undermining our very democracy and democratic institutions, said California Governor Gavin Newsom, who is not a tyrant at all. Quote, this attack, said San Francisco's state senator, Scott Weiner, is terrifying and the direct result of toxic right-wing rhetoric. It is the direct result of right-wing rhetoric. Journalists agreed with their assessment. The suspect appears to have made racist and often rambling posts online, noted the AP in a report that encapsulated the media narrative, including some of the questions, the result of the 2020 election, and echoed QAnon conspiracy theories. This is from Michael Schellenberger. He's just given an outline of what's going on right now. But the suspects' politics have little rhyme or reason. In past years, the Pape shared a post about Stephen Colbert's 2006 roast of George W. Bush at the White House Correspondence Center, linked to videos of Disney films altered to make it look like the characters were swearing, and claimed that Jesus is the Antichrist. And Schellenberger says, not exactly a litany of right-wing tropes. And as soon as I discovered... DePape lived with a notorious local nudist in a Berkeley home, complete with a Black Lives Matter sign in the window and an LGBT rainbow flag emblazoned with a mar- marijuana symbol hanging from a tree. A closer look reveals the characteristics of a ho- homeless encampment or what Europeans call an open drug scene. In the driveway, there's a broken down camper van. On the street is a yellow school bus, which neighbors said DePape occasionally stayed in. Both are filled with garbage typical of such structures and homeless encampments people come and go from the house and the vehicles neighbors say in part to partake in the use of a potent psychedelic drug ibogaine i don't know what that is i'll just say is it cool anyone know neighbors described pape as a homeless addict with politics that were until recently left-wing but of secondary importance to his psychotic and paranoid behavior Quote, what I know about the family is that they're very radical activists, said one of the neighbors, a woman who only gave her first name, Trish. They seem very left. They are all about Black Lives Matter movement, gay pride, but they're very detached from reality. They've called the cops on several of the neighbors, including us, claiming that we are plotting against them. It's really weird to see that they are willing to be so aggressive towards somebody else who is also a lefty. Not all the news media missed DePape's history of drug use, psychosis, and homelessness. CNN reported that a woman named Laura Hayes, who said she worked 10 years ago with DePape making hemp bracelets, said he had been living in a storage shed. He talks to angels and told her that there will be a hard time coming. So we got a lot of stuff in here. Okay, from what I can tell, seems pretty, uh, let's just say, I don't know, crazy. 
I guess. I don't mean that in a derogatory way. The guy just seems like he's off his rocker just a little bit. Not all the dogs are barking. Missing a couple marbles. Much, But much of the rest of the news media, particularly local journalists who could have interviewed DePape's neighbors, were swept up in the narrative that DePape was more like John Wilkes Booth, the fanatical but sane assassin of Abraham Lincoln, than John Hinckley Jr., the mentally ill man who shot Ronald Reagan. DePape is much more like one of the hundreds of psychotic homeless people I've seen interviewed in recent years than the fanatical climate ideologues who I've been writing about in recent weeks. Wrapped up, in, wrapped up in their own obsession with Trump Republicans, most journalists have missed the real story. David DePape is not a microcosm of the political psychosis gripping America in general. Rather, he's a microcosm of the drug-induced psychosis gripping the West Coast in particular. Drugs, paranoia, and pedophilia. He goes on to talk about the person he's been living with. That's a lot where the pedophilia stuff comes in. They talk about the nudist stuff, all that. Listen. It seems like the guy was kind of nuts. Now, does that mean that it's okay what he did? No, that's not what it means. But here's where stuff starts to get a little frustrating, just slightly frustrating. And that is with the left wing's response to this. That's with the gaslighting. That's with the obvious narcissistic personality disorder that many of them are suffering from, which includes the gaslighting and the projection. And we're going to go over a lot of that. But I wanted to bring you one thing from Robert Wright before we go into all of that stuff and uh, something from Max Boot about this whole thing. We were talking about Elon Musk posting that conspiracy theory article. And... Robert Reich said, this is the last straw. He now thinks that Elon Musk shouldn't be controlling Twitter. I know he almost won him over. It was really close. But Robert Reich officially thinks that Elon Musk should hand over control of Twitter because of this danger that he has put everyone in by t tweeting this article. Now, what's interesting is I've seen way more people on the left talk about this and talk about this theory than I've seen even from people on the right. I found out about all this stuff from left-wing people talking about it. I haven't actually seen hardly anything, maybe like two tweets on my Twitter regarding all of these theories and some funny memes. Okay, some funny memes. But what are you going to do? Santa Monica Observer, by the way, that's the, uh, that's the smub observer that he was tweeting out. So, by the way, sorry, Elon, that Robert Reich now thinks that you shouldn't be running Twitter. He gave you a little bit of credit, but he even says at the end of the article that he might have overestimated Elon. <coughs> so, I wanted to tell you before we go into the Max Boot thing. Let's see. We played the video. There's some, there's some questionable stuff on this story. All right. Here's a couple questionable things. We got the audio recording, and it does seem like... Someone said that they were someone's friend. All right, so that's a thing. I don't know where the confusion is on that. We got the report that someone was in their underwear. We then had that retracted because someone else said that they weren't in their underwear. So now they have conflicting reports and the news channel that reported that retracted that claim. We don't have the body cam footage yet. We don't have any security camera footage yet. We do have this odd picture of broken out glass on the door. 
this is another thing that added up uh, to me questioning things. I don't think that it's entirely out of the realm of possibility, but it is, however, odd that the glass is broken to the outside and not to the inside. Now, it is possible, depending on what kind of glass this is, you think about a glass door, you hit it, it shatters, it goes in. Maybe these people have very strong glass because of who they are. You hit it, it bounces back out the other way. Maybe if you're using a hammer to try and get in to the door, that's what happens. Uh, you, you hit the hammer through it, but it's not the kind of glass that just shatters. Just the head of the hammer goes through and you end up pulling back out with the hammer to rip the glass outward. Maybe that's part of it. And it does, so I, I thought the same thing. I'm not exactly sure on this, Michael. I think that that is a reflection in the glass. If you look in this right here, you can see the reflection of the steps inside this window right there. And I actually think that what looks like glass on the inside is actually a reflection, potentially, of the glass that's laying outside. I don't know, but I did think the same thing. Once again, does this prove anything? No, because you can explain it both ways. You can. What I just laid out, okay, this is not the kind of glass that just magically shatters. I think it's more like a the front windshield of your car. The head of the hammer goes through the glass. It doesn't shatter the whole thing. You end up using the hammer to try and pull out the glass to, to get in. That article said that the police had to break in. I also saw, but then I saw accounts that the police said that someone from the inside opened the door, that they didn't break in. <laughs> All right, let's go to Max Boots thing. Now, first, I'm going to tell you just one more time my synopsis on this whole thing before we go into the, this is a consequence of right-wing divisive rhetoric, because that's the most annoying part that I find. Once again, I think it's okay to question things. I always question everything, every single narrative. I question this as soon as I saw it. And I also question conspiracy theories. I have no clue what happened. Like I said, I watch a lot of true crime. And so I pay attention to these cases. I will also say I've been humbled a bunch of times watching true crime. Because you know they try to set you up and make you think that it's one person. And magically it's not. I've decided that it was one person and then found out, oh, no, wait, well, looks like it was that person, but there's the DNA. Turns out it was that guy. What's up with that? But there are some concerning problems. My first one was that Nancy wasn't home, and I get the fact that she's really busy. But anytime you get a spouse that is attacked on a true crime show and the other spouse is not home, yeah, they paid someone to do it. That's just what it was. All right. This, however, there's a little bit more of an excuse for her not being home. The glass being broken, we just talked about that. Broken glass on the outside of the door. Maybe it's uh, going in both directions there. You can explain that, but I have seen cases that were decided by the fact that the glass is broken in the wrong direction. And that's what led to them deciding that this was a homicide or whatever. Um, the friend on the recording, that's weird. We once again don't have conclusive evidence either direction on this. The initial source saying that he was in his underwear and then another source saying that he wasn't. That's also weird. And then I have the fact that I just don't trust anyone. And that includes the news media, people on the left and people on the right, the police, the FBI, the Capitol Police, and most of all, the Pelosi's. All those things combined together 
for me to not make a determination on this. But what are the motives? What could be a motive? If this was because someone was right wing, well, they could obviously just be mad about and mad at people on the left for all the terrible stuff that they do. So there's a motive there, of course. What about uh, this is from the left? And he actually went, well, that could escalate all the fear of the right wing extremists. So there's a motive for creating this or whatever, planning this thing. What about just for Nancy? Well, that's part of the left motive. Also, there's a little bit of money involved. DePape could just be crazy. All right, so we've got stuff all over the place. Where do we go from here? It really doesn't matter. If it's just a cons- if it is really a conspiracy and what some of the theories have said is actually what happened, guess what? I hate to tell you, but they're going to cover all their bases on it. They're going to. The um, security camera footage from the house, I bet you the attacker deleted that while he was in there. The body cam footage malfunctioned. You know the thing. If it was right-wing political violence, that's bad, but it doesn't have to change anything that you do. You guys know the truth. You know what's been going on in the country, and you don't have to give in to uh, all the crazy narcissistic tweets that you're seeing out there. That brings us to Max Boots' article from the Washington Post. Don't blame both sides. The right is driving political violence. It should not be controversial to say that America has a major problem with right-wing political violence. The evidence continues to accumulate, yet the GOP continues to deny responsibility for this horrifying trend. On Friday, we just talked about what happened on Friday, the same day as the Pelosi attack, a man pled guilty to making death threats against Representative Eric Swalwell. Two days earlier, three men who were motivated by the FBI, or sorry, right-wing anti-lockdown hysteria, after COVID-19 were hit and convicted of aiding a plot to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. In August, another man died after attacking an FBI office because he was so upset about the Bureau's search of Mar-a-Lago that he said that they must respond with force. This is where any fair-minded journalist has to offer the obligatory to be sure paragraph. And he goes on to say, to be sure, political violence is not confined to the right. Representative Steve Scalise was shot in 2017 by a gunman with leftist beliefs. And in June, a man was arrested for allegedly plotting to assassinate Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh after becoming incensed about court rulings on abortion and guns. I like that he does offer up the guy's excuses. Republican leaders cite those attacks to exonerate themselves of any responsibility for political violence. Violence is unacceptable, whether from the left or the right, period. But we can't allow GOP leaders to get away with this false moral equivalency. They are evading their responsibility for the extremist rhetoric that all too often motivates extremist actions. And what I love about this is that this is just pure, as I've mentioned before, narcissistic personality disorder on display. It just mentioned... Scalise, Kavanaugh, those things, even offered up some of the excuses for the Kavanaugh thing, doesn't take any responsibility for it at all, but is demanding that the right take responsibility for what their words have caused other people to do. And that you can't allow the GOP leaders to talk about any of these things whenever something like this happens. You can't say, well, what about Scalise in the congressional baseball field shooting. No, that's you getting away from your responsibility. 
Well, what responsibility did the left take when these things in the past have happened? Did they take any? Did we get any responsibility for all the crap that happened in 2020 with all the rioting and murders that occurred during that? Any of the people that have been murdered that I'm going to talk about here in just a few minutes? Any of the attacks that we've all heard of? Did they take responsibility for their rhetoric causing this to happen? But no, they can demand that the other party take responsibility for bad things that happen. The sickness on the right was on display after news broke about the attack on Paul Pelosi while leading Republicans condemned the horrific assault. The MAGA base seethed with sick jokes making light of the violence and insane conspiracy theories. There was, alas, no sign of the GOP taking responsibility for fomenting hatred. So once again, they're not taking any responsibility. The GOP is not. Why is it them that's got to take responsibility and not you? Well, that's just another trait. Let's go through a few things just for fun. It's not that fun. Just recently, Marco Rubio, this is a tweet from him. Last night, one of our canvassers wearing my t-shirt and a DeSantis hat was brutally attacked by four animals who told him Republicans weren't allowed in their neighborhood. He suffered internal bleeding, a broken jaw, and will need facial reconstructive surgery. Did we get any responsibility taken from the left on this for what these people did? Nah, they're just crazy. There's some criminals doing some crazy stuff, you know? How about this Louisville mayoral candidate that was shot at in an assassination attempt? And Quintez Brown, who was a BLM rising star and also an anti-gun activist who ended up being the shooter. Anyone on the left take any responsibility for this because it was their fault? Anyone? Mur How about this murder of a black Trump supporter, Bern Bernal Trammell or Burnell Trammell spurs call for federal investigation. That's back in July of 2020. What do you think happened there? We don't have to go into the article. Anyone take responsibility for it? Of all the divisive stuff people have said about Donald Trump that would cause this to happen? Or how about this Portland radical that murdered a Trump supporter and became a hero for Antifa back in January of 2021? is when this article was written by Andy No. Anyone take responsibility for that? Is there a big outcry from the left calling for personal responsibility and an end to all of the divisiveness for all of the, the terrible violence that their words have caused? Anything like that? How about Rand Paul? Poor old, poor old Rand Paul getting attacked by his neighbor. I do like that he called out Rand Paul called out Nancy Pelosi's daughter for once tweeting that Rand Paul's neighbor was right. Have you guys ever seen the Rand Paul's neighbor tweets? I'm sure you have. They happen all the time. In fact, anytime Rand Paul posts anything on Twitter, you see it. Now, I have to remind you of this line from Max Boot in the Washington Post where he says the sickness of the right was on display after news broke of the attack. Leading Republicans condemned the horrific assault, but the MAGA base seethed with sick jokes making light of the violence and insane conspiracy theories. Anyone take any responsibility for what happened to Rand? No, actually you've just seen a bunch of jokes. And you hear, I want to say conspiracy theories. Ah, uh, it wasn't politically motivated. It had to do with lawn clippings. Lawn clippings, yes, that is what this had to do with, even though there were no records of him ever having an issue. People in the neighborhood came out, said that 
Rand Paul's lawn was very well kept. They never heard a single thing. But they did find out that the guy who attacked him was a leftist and had posted a ton of stuff from Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren leading up to the attack. And the FBI later said that they believed it was politically motivated. The FBI told local Kentucky media earlier Sunday an assault that left Republican Senator Rand Paul injured and reeling was politically motivated. That's from the Daily Wire. Yes, he posted a bunch of stuff from Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, but this was just a thing over lawn clippings, right? This is because Rand Paul is a terrible libertarian. He doesn't care about anyone else but himself. That's all it was. And also, apparently, he deserved it. Literally, a bunch of people. How about uh, John Pavlovitz or Pavlovitz? I don't know. He says, I get Rand Paul's neighbor. He also said a couple days ago that the attack on Paul Pelosi is the direct result of Fox News and the GOP's purposefully irresponsible rhetoric. It will continue to get worse, and if it gets con- and if the GOP gets control of Congress, our nation will be unrecognizable. We need to vote these monsters into oblivion. But he also gets Rand Paul's neighbor. Keith Oberman says today we are all Rand Paul's neighbor because Rand Paul was trying to block a forty billion dollar military aid package to Ukraine. Keith Oberman making jokes about that. Tom Arnold, thoughts and prayers for Rand Paul's neighbor. I don't think we could pay Rand Paul's neighbor enough money to live next to Ted Cruz. Rand Paul's neighbor tried to save America. Several things like that. And he's also retweeting things about how terrible this violence was against Paul Pelosi. Rush Chapman says every time Rand Paul talks, the world just falls a little bit more in love with his old neighbor. And then later on, he says, how is this real life? They're joking about an assassination attempt of the Speaker of the House. Would they be joking just the same if Newt Gingrich or Paul Ryan's spouses had been attacked inside their own homes? A year before that, talks about the world falling a little bit more in love with Rand Paul's old neighbor. By the way, Rand Paul almost died from this. Broken ribs, punctured lung, had to have some of his lung removed. It, it, it wasn't a joke. It wasn't a joke. Midas touch. Crazy left-wing Twitter. We see Dr. Fauci is cosplaying as Rand Paul's neighbor today in one of these exchanges that Rand Paul clearly won. And then just recently they posted the Republican Party's reactions to the brutal attack on Paul Pelosi are absolutely despicable. This is a party that normalizes and stokes violence, crime, and domestic terrorism. David Weissman. More and more, I'm understanding Rand Paul's neighbor. Also says... I hope Elon Musk is paying attention to the news about the attack on Speaker Pelosi. If there's no accountability, hate speech, it manifests to violence. That wasn't really a full sentence, but that's what he said. He's very worried about this. More random people. Rand Paul's neighbor is a hero. Another person says he deserves the Presidential Medal of Freedom. George Takai from Star Trek. Mm. Admit it. These days, we all sort of wish we had been Rand Paul's neighbor. Just a couple days ago, he said, hateful conspiracy theories that the assailant spouted online and led to him violently assaulting Paul Pelosi are the same ones spread by extremists in the GOP. If you sit out on this election, you encourage more of this through your inaction. Treat the threat seriously. So no, I'm not really going to take any of these people seriously at all. Was there a big leftist outcry over the person who said that they went there to kill Justice Brett Kavanaugh? No, luckily he called the cops on himself. No. How about the NYC subway shooting guy? Ten people uh, got shot. I think there were like a dozen more injured in some way, shape, or form. Don't remember. Uh, That guy was just clearly crazy. Clearly crazy. 
there was no political motivation behind what he did whatsoever. How about the five people that were shot, including Steve Scalise at the congressional baseball practice? Shooter fired at least 70 rounds. Now, did the left gather together to condemn the rhetoric of Bernie Sanders and people like him for creating this madman who fired 70 rounds at a baseball field full of Republicans, injuring five people, almost killing Steve Scalise? Did they group together and say, we have to take accountability for the fact that Bernie Sanders is constantly tweeting about how Republicans are literally killing people, that they are literally murderers, and that they want to kill your grandma? Do we have to take accountability for this divisive rhetoric? Because look at what our words created. No. You didn't hear that at all, did you? What about Lee Zeldin, who who survived a guy trying to stab him while he was on stage? Not too long ago. A few months ago. That just happened. Anyone worried about any of the rhetoric? What about the Waukesha Parade? Anyone pay attention to some of the ideas that this guy had? Some of the hate that he had for white people? The fact that a bunch of white people were ran down, people died, tons of people got ran over, anything like that? No, that was an SUV. That was just one of those pesky SUVs getting in the way. (sighs) But this is what we get from people like John Cooper. Says the guy who attacked Paul Pelosi with a hammer made racist posts online, defended Trump, questioned the results of the 2020 election, and pushed other conspiracy theories. MAGA isn't a political organization. It's a domestic terrorist organization. End of story. Shannon Watts, blue checkmark, said, let's be clear, the attempted assassination of Speaker Pelosi and the assault on her husband in their home is not a story about crime. It's a story about how MAGA Republican extremism is inciting violence and harming our democracy. AOC, responding to a post that says, when you let dangerous criminals criminals out on the streets with bail and not put them in prison, you're asking for this incident to happen. So that's people on the right blaming us on rising crime in San Francisco. She says, or maybe a billionaire-fueled propaganda channel that regularly generates high volumes of death threats to elected officials while pumping propaganda for an extreme right wing that openly embraces fascism is what's creating the environment where this happened. Well, that's the end of my slideshow. But let's finish up this article from Max Boot. He says it's true that by calling out GOP extremism, Democrats risk exacerbating the polarization of politics. Now notice what he does there. It's not about any of their divisive rhetoric. It's not about anything that they've said. It's not about any of the accusations that they make about how about what Republican policies do or capitalism or Trump or anything like that, any of the stuff that they've taken out of context clearly to make people hate people on the right more than they should. You can hate people on the right, but let's at least do it based on the truth, please. It's not about that. The risk that Democrats have, because they don't want to stoke any divisiveness, the risk they have is that if they call out the GOP's extremism, they could make some people mad. And they're overly concerned about making people mad. But... He says they can't simply ignore this dangerous trend. It's not Democrats who are pushing our country to the brink. A New York Times study found that MAGA members of Congress who refused to accept the results of the 2020 election used polarizing language at nearly triple the rate of Democrats. I got like a polarizing language meter. <laughs> what a joke. So please don't accept the GOP framing of the assault on Paul Pelosi as evidence of a problem plaguing both sides of the aisle. 
Political violence in America is being driven primarily by the far right, not the far left. And the far right is much closer to the mainstream of the Republican Party than the far left is to the Democratic Party. You guys know all the psychological terms that describe what Max Boot is doing. The thing that I have to say to you is that don't give in to it. This is a crazy person writing crazy things. Always keep yourself grounded in the truth. Don't act out emotionally. Just act within the realm of the way that you should act. Not hurting people. Not taking their stuff. Say things that are true. Say things that you know to be true. And always question everything. That is the extent of today's episode. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Went way longer than what I planned on going. But hey, we had a good time. If you enjoyed it, tell a friend, tell a family member, tell the children, share the video of this on, once you see it on YouTube, send it over to someone so they can see my pretty face. If you do all that stuff, and I mean all of it, I'll be right back here again tomorrow. Until then, have a good day and a good morning, Liberty.